happily ever after. That's how the movie ends, right? They get together. Ugly sisters, evil stepmom, dragon, something. You get together. And then that's it. It's just, and then and there's like a heart that comes to the, you know what I mean? And then it just says, and they lived. What? Happily ever after. And it sounds great. I want that. We all want that, right? But they never tell you how you live. Ha- they, they tell you how you get together, which in our life, there is no dragon. There might be an evil stepmom. I don't know. But, but, you know, they tell you how to get together in the Disney movie, which is, again, I'm a mermaid. There's a prince. I got to get rid of my fins. And then that's how you get together. That's not real. In our world, how we get together is we head out. We get dolled up. Well, what do guys do? I'm so out of the game. I've been married for 14 years. You try to you try to get your Mac on. No, and so you head out, and then you hook up, and you got eyes, and you got lines, and you got you know, or you got Match.com, whatever it takes. And you, you, but but then you you so you find something. And the goal and the hope, and here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me, is we want to be happily ever after. We want to live happily ever. We love the idea of being in love. And so we get this thing called chemistry going, but then sometimes we lose the chemistry. But, but in our heart, what we all want is happily ever after. And I'm telling you this, is that there's this ancient book. It's old school, been around for thousands of years, and it gives a blueprint for how, not how you find, because most of the Bible doesn't deal with how you find love. The Bible deals with how you stay in love. Does that make sense? And so last week, if you were not here, please go get the CD, especially, especially, especially if you're single. We talked about how there's, there's this concept that we refer to as dateable. That some folks are dateable. Some folks are not. And what you need to determine is, are you dateable? Because you may be looking for dateable, but it might not be dateable material and so you're you're wanting to become dateable and you're wanting to find dateable and you need to go find out what that is but one of the components of being dateable was this idea of commonality meaning that we need to actually enjoy doing life together we see the world the same way we both enjoy some of the same things we have the same value system that that life is just more fun and easier when we have some things that we are already connected to beyond the fact that we're both connected to jesus and so so there's something called commonality and what that does is is it creates something great inside of marriage that's the main subject of of kind of today's topic this idea of what is it like when your spouse is also your best friend Listen to what, what Solomon said. This is in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse number 16. He says this, and this is the big poem and the big story, and this, it's a beautiful kind of erotic. Anyway, this is my beloved. That's me. I love you, girl. This is my beloved. I'm all about you. I got the feelings. I got the vibes. I'm in love with you. But this is my what? This is my friend. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. Some guy asked me recently, Todd, if there was just one thing that you could boil down and maybe the most important thing that you could nail down on what would make a great marriage. And, and I hadn't really thought about it in such concrete terms because nobody ever asked me just point blank. Give me one thing. I don't have one thing. I usually have eight points to a sermon or something crazy. And so what was the one thing? And it just kind of came out the idea that I, I think friendship is the most important aspect of marriage. And there's a few of them we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks here. But I'm telling you, we're starting here today because I think friendship might be the most foundational one to them. Because most of life is not romance, right? Most of life is not intimacy. When you're dating, you hope that. 
when you're dating, you might think that, but then you get married and life happens and then there's bills and there's kids and there's a vacation and there's Christmas and there's in-laws and there's all these things. And what you find is, is that life is chaotic enough and, and intimacy and romance is not all that marriage is important, but it's not all that marriage is. And what really kind of keeps us together is our friendship and our ability because of our friendship to weather any storm in life. Listen to what, this is John Gottman, a, a, probably one of the most well-known, or not well-known, but I want to say most respected kind of marriage teachers out there right now. And he says this. He says, happy marriages are based on deep friendship. And by this, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. They're well-versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, hopes, and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness, not just in the big ways, but in the little ways, day in and day out. So friendship. Is where we go today. Friendship is what we're talking about today. And, and so to, to, to like get us going, I, I pulled a couple of couples out of our church and I put them through kind of the, the friendship test. The how well do you actually know each other test? Would you guys like to see that? We have a special prize for the winner. We're going to give out. Let's check out this video. We'll see how well really do you know each other. It's both manly and fun and girly. Okay, so anyway. Uh, so yeah, how, how well do you know your spouse? Because what do we, what did, what did we say? That there's a huge element to marriage that is often overlooked and it is the foundation of your marriage being your, your friendship. The idea of commonality, the idea of like, like if you're single out there, here's, here's what I really want you to do. And this, we talked about this a little bit last week. Here's what I really want you to do. I want you to find someone of the opposite sex who you love being around, you, you consider them your best friend, you so enjoy doing life together with them, and you want to make out with them. That's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody. They love Jesus, and they're your best friend, and you want to make out with them. That right there is a setup for success. There's like a little bit of awkwardness or something. No, I'm for real. Married couples, am I... That's true. Okay. So, so what we want to do is build a friendship. Now, now here's something that I learned about marriage that's going to seem obvious, but it wasn't so obvious to me. And it was that I used to read the Bible in such a way that I thought, well, the marriage scriptures apply to marriage. And then all the other scriptures apply to all the other stuff. Right? And that seems like that'd make decent sense. And, and, and then I, it started to dawn on me that every scripture... That has to do with human relationships and human interaction and how you should treat another human being, which the Bible is full of. That those scriptures so much apply to marriage. But I'd overlooked them. I had so looked at like, oh, let's look at the marriage scriptures. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's, let's, look at, you know, let's look at all the scriptures about marriage. But what if we took a step back and said, you know what? If God has given us the blueprint for how to have great relationships, how much more so does that apply in the most important relationship that we have on this planet? And so today I want to look at, and so we're going to take a journey and try to build the friendship that lies within inside of our marriage. So today, I just want to kind of walk you through some ideas because I know here's what I know what you want. You want happily ever after. I know what I want. I want happily ever after. I want to hang out with my best buddy and then go make out. And that is my wife. That's what, that's what I really want. 
That's happily ever after. That gives you a glimpse of what that could look like. The, the alternative, I don't know if you heard the story, there was, there's a man and um, his, his wife wakes up, notices he's not in bed. It's kind of weirded out, so she goes into the kitchen to see. And there he is just sitting at the kitchen table with this solemn look on his face and a cup of coffee, a little tear. Almost like the little Indian man from the commercial. With the little tear. And she's like, honey, what's wrong? He goes, babe, do you remember when we first got together? Just, yeah, sweetie. Remember when you were only 16 years old? And your daddy caught us in the, in the back of the car? Yes, sweetie, I remember. Remember how he stuck that shotgun in my face? And he told me, you either marry my daughter or 20 years in jail. Do you remember that? Yeah, honey, I, I remember that. Took another sip of coffee, another tear rolled down his face. He said, I would have gotten out today. That's not happily ever after. That's, that's, weighing, that's weighing it out. Hmm, what, what, would, what would have been better? What would have been worse? I don't know. I don't know. And so if that's you today, we're going to pull you out of your funk and pull you into marital bliss. And I'm telling you that we're going to start today with the foundation of the idea that, that, that at the foundation of marriage, the most important thing that you can develop, cultivate, build, and work towards is great friendship and marriage. Today, let's, let's start working through this idea. Seven biblical realities of friendship. If you have your Bible, if you're taking notes, this is a great note-taking kind of session right now. Let's get going. Number one is this, and here, let's talk about this. Let's talk about great friends. And as, as today we walk down this idea, I'm taking the truths, the biblical realities of friendship as the Bible lays them out, and then we're going to directly apply them to our spouse and see where do we need to get better, where do we need to repent, what do we need to cultivate, what is the goal, the aim, the prize, what is it that we're shooting for, because this is how we're going to build the foundation of a great Marriage. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one is this. Is how many know that your best friends, great friends, friends that, that are just the best. Think about some of the friends that you put in the category. Man, aren't they just the best? Isn't that friend just awesome? And we're going to develop this and work this towards our marriage. But we all know this, that the best friends, that great friends are what? They're faithful friends. How many know that's the truth? Like the best friends are the friends that you know you can count on. They are always there. They are absolutely faithful. And that's just how it rolls. Listen to what the Bible says about friendship in Proverbs 17. It says a friend loves at all times. I say all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born in a time of adversity. And so great friends, when you think about the people that you think, man, I, I, I love this guy. I love this girl. I love how much our friendship means. I guarantee you there's a, there's a point in your history where there was some faithfulness inside of that friendship. They were there for you when you needed them most. And that's what partly draws you to that friendship. And your marriage is no different. Is that when you look at your spouse, the most important thing that you can give them is faithfulness. Because that consistency, that trustworthiness, that knowing that no matter what, I know that they're there for me. I know that no matter what, they would never do something to try to hurt me. I know that no matter what, that faithfulness is there. But sometimes we lose sight of that. Hey, let, let, let's just talk about a, a kind of a unique reality. How many of you are married in here? Raise your hands real quick. You're married. Okay, so if you're married, then, then uh, most likely you got to a church 
or a vineyard or a place, a chapel or something, and you had a pastor and you had some people gathered around and you went through and did some things. Every wedding ceremony has some of the same features in it. And if you do my wedding uh, or if I do your wedding, you, you know how we roll. There's, there's, there's a little chit chat where we talk about marriage and then there's some vows and then there's a ring exchange and y'all, then y'all kiss. But think about those vows. Do you remember the vows that you said? I promise to love and to cherish, to have and to hold from this day forward. For what? Do you remember this one? For better or worse? Sometimes sometimes it's worse. For richer or poor? Sometimes, sometimes that happens too. Um, in sickness and in what? And in health. And, and then we get to the end and we say, until death parts us. And then the guys all swallow right there like, oh, my gosh, what did I just commit to? I'm just kidding. Um, did, did you I want you to just think about this for a moment. Did you know that of all the vows, promises, commitments that you made in that moment before God, before the pastor, before all those people? Do you know that not one of them had anything to do with a feeling? Not one of them said, I promise that I will always feel loving. That I will always treat you how I feel. I will always. It doesn't have. None of your vows had anything to do with emotional feeling. All of your vows had something to do with faithful commitments. And that's where your greatest friends come from in life, is friends that you know are there for you in a pinch. And I'm telling you that that sets the foundation of a great friendship, is knowing they got your back, knowing that they're true to you, knowing that they're faithful to you no matter what. Not based on feelings, based on a pledge, based on an obligation, based on a commitment, based on a covenant, something really, really powerful. Think about that. Number two is this. Great friends, great friends believe in each other. I don't know if you think about God and the dynamic biblical realities. Listen to this. James chapter two, verse 23 says this. It says that the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God. Just because he believed God, it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So what was what was the kick point of their friendship? Is that God appreciated the fact, hey, man, you believe me. You trusted me. You, you, you believed in me. I'm telling you, great friendships have the same element to it. And if you think about some of your greatest friendships, they believe in you. You might be a liar. They believe in you. You might not be that good. They believe in you. You know what I mean? You might not be the best. They believe in you. Your great friends, just, just, they, they're just there for you. They believe in you when you're funky, when you're weird, when you're dysfunctional, when you got issues. Man, I believe in you. I'm always believing the best in you and for you and hoping the best for you. And I'm telling you, that's what great friendship is, is really, really built on. So do you believe in your spouse? Do you give them that same level of, of just kind of belief? Because you lie to your friends just to let them know you believe in them, don't you? My wife lies to me all the time, y'all. My wife lied to me this morning. I put on an outfit. I stepped out. I'm like, hey, how'd I look? She's like, you look so handsome. That's a totally lie. She lies. You're so good looking. You're so handsome. You're so this. You're so that. Lies to me all the time. She believes in me. I don't know why. As a matter of fact, what she did was, um, because... um, I'm not always, I haven't always been the mature soul that you see before you today. Um, 
is, is in my, in my early years of marriage, I got married when I was 21. So how many know, remember how dumb you were when you were 21? And so it, it's not that I was bad. It was that I was 21. And so, um, I, I was mature for a 21 year old, but that doesn't say a lot, right? You're still 21. And so, um, if you're 21 out there, I love you. But guess what? When you become 25, you'll look back at your 21 year old self and be like, I was so dumb. So I'm just preparing you in advance. And so my, my wife, you know what she did to convince herself to keep believing in me? She wrote a list. She literally made a list. She still has it. She probably has to review it quarterly. Um, and she made a list of all the things, of all the great attributes or good qualities or things I did have going for me. And she made a list of them because I made it hard to focus on those all the time. And so she would literally, when times got tough, she would go back and remind herself, why did I marry this guy? I believe in him. I believe. I was a work in progress, right? I was a project. And so... Anyway, my, my point is this, is our greatest friends believe in us, and that's no different for your spouse. You've you got to have that quality where you create an environment where you just, you just believe in people. There's, uh, there, there's a, a, a study that they did on couples that last and couples that don't. It's a complicated study. I don't want to tell you all the details. But the guy, by the end of the study, could basically predict within about 90% accuracy. That's pretty good. The couples that would make it and the couples that wouldn't. And he began to teach and break down what he saw and what he evaluated. They were literally sticking couples into like these um, houses with video cameras everywhere, and they would just observe behavior. And then, like I said, after enough time of studying and seeing what was going on, within 90% accuracy, they tell which ones could make it. And what he goes on to say is, is that the number one detrimental cause of divorce was criticism. Criticism is the opposite of belief. Criticism is... Well, you're not this, or you're not good at that, or why'd you do this, or why'd you do that? And it's, it's just got a critical spirit to it. And I'm telling you what the Bible's telling you. Great, friend, great friends believe in each other. And great marriages have that same kind of environment. We are constantly trying to believe in one another. Let's keep going. Great friends, number three is this. Great friends appreciate each other's differences. Great, I'm telling you this. You, you know, guys, we will look at our wives and be like, man, she is so weird. Why does she do that? You know why? Hey, did you notice Delano in the video? Um, there, there was a moment where, where Steve had said, you know, you know, put stuff back, I think was the answer. And he was like, see, ladies, put things back. He had a slip, didn't he? Because Delano has an issue. I don't care if you put stuff back. I don't care because I don't put stuff back. Delano cares. And so, but I know his wife. His wife is, is a free spirit. And so things just go. It, 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 like, you, you belong here. And, and it doesn't matter where it is. But to Delano, he has a motto, and it's a place for everything and everything in its place. That's his motto. He has that tattooed on his forearm. It's, look, it's a place for everything and everything in its place. So he's all like, everything needs to go, and he had that little slip out there. So what I'm telling you is this, is that, like, your spouse is different than you. Guys, women are different. I don't know if you know that. It's more than the plumbing. They're different. But you're weird, too. You do some of the weirdest thing that make no sense to them whatsoever. So, like, what, what I'm telling you is this, is that there's kind of three ways that we treat each other's differences. The, the first thing is we just reject them. You know what I mean? Like, we'll, we'll get like, well, you should be more like this. You need to stop doing that. You need to stop being like that. Now, when you were talking about sin and character issues, and we, we, we can go there. But I'm talking about, like, just differences, quirkiness, uh, different styles of the way we go about doing things. That you, we, we just reject the other person. And their differences. Now, now think about this. Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, and they sinned, they became aware of their nakedness. And the Bible says that they covered themselves. Where did they cover themselves? They covered themselves where they were different. 
Meaning they began to reject each other's differences. What, what was different about them? Well, I got different parts that you do. We got to cover. And they rejected each other. And that's not the way we go about doing it. The other way, and this, this isn't great, but it's, it's better at least, is we tolerate each other's differences. Well, oh, well, she's always been like that. You know, we just kind of put up with it. Well, yeah, the floor's just been on, you know, the underwear's been on the floor for 14 years now. And I guess I'll deal with it. And, uh, yeah, that's me. But but the other the other here's where I really want you to go. I, I want you to like embrace and celebrate each other's differences. Like I, I'm telling you that the best couples in the world are delusional. The the best couples in the world look at they look at their spouse and their spouse is weird and they come up with and they believe it too. It may have taken years for them to convince themselves, but they believe it now. The best marriages. They they think, oh, well, he just you take anything that they do that most people would see as a negative and you find a way to put a positive spin on it. Because I have a couple that, that we were just talking about this. It was a pre-married class. And, and I think she was frustrated how he was, he was laid back and, and, and not aggressive enough about doing a certain thing. And I said, well, hold up now. Because you're upset that he is laid back and chill and easygoing about this. And yet you take advantage of it, not in a bad way, but you totally reap the fruit of him being chill and laid back and easygoing. And the fact that he's chill and laid back and easygoing is why your relationship works so well. Because if you had somebody that was as up as you are in some of those categories, y'all would kill each other. So, like, don't hate on it in one regard and then love it in ten regards. Does that make sense? Take what makes them who they are and find a way to celebrate it. Find a way to enjoy it. Find a way to capitalize on it. Because because you do this with your buddies, like with your, your friends. You love their differences. That's in some ways why you think they're so cool or why you like hanging out with them. You enjoy their differences. And then it comes over to your spouse and you're, you're annoyed by it. Celebrate each other's differences. Because I'm telling you that, that great friends appreciate that in each other. Let's keep moving. Number four is this. Great friends... There's transparency amongst great. That's how you really know if you have a great friend, don't you? Is that two, two things can happen. You go on a long car ride with, with a great friend. And you can talk about anything and be open. It's totally cool. Or you can be quiet and not say anything. It's still totally cool. Why? There's just a connection there. There's a transparency. You get, you get each other. Listen to what Jesus said. This Again, these are biblical realities. Jesus said this. Um, John 15, I no longer, he's talking to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. But instead, I'm calling you friends, because everything that I learned from my father, I've now made known to you. Do you know what I'm saying? He's saying, look, y'all are close now. We're buddies. We're friends. We're roll dogs. And so I'm going to let you in on insider information. Great friendship. Built on the idea of transparency. But yet, when it comes to our spouse and our conversations, like, we, we, we don't talk well. Like the TV always needs to be on. We can't talk very well. Like what, what took place there at some point in time, we began to move and separate in directions where we weren't as friendly as we used to be. We didn't. Because remember when you were dating, you would talk constantly. Do you remember the obnoxiousness of your phone calls? If your roommate was around, he was bothered by you talking on the phone to her all the time. The girlfriend didn't, didn't care. She's like, oh, my God, they're in love. But the guy was like, oh, shut up. Because you'd be like, you'd be like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, I'm not going to do it. Let's do it together. Let's go on three. Okay, one, two, three. You didn't hang up and you do stupid. Anyway, totally nutty, just in love with each other. Just hang up the phone. And so, but, but again, insider information. Now, now here's what happened. What did I say earlier is what, 
What is the detriment of the relationship? Criticism. So what happens is this, is because of marriage and proximity, we're so close together, we stopped embracing and celebrating our differences, and we introduce criticism into the relationship. Criticism is what kills the transparency. Because to be completely transparent, you are also completely vulnerable. To be vulnerable with another person, you need to know and be able to prove their faithfulness towards you. See how this all hinges together? You need to know that they're faithfully for you, that they believe in you, that they, they celebrate your differences. Then you create an environment of transparency, and now we can talk about anything. And it, here's what it is. It is free from judgment. Like, I know that I, because I'll just tell you this. I'm a pastor, and it's hard to be friends when you're a pastor, because most people see you a certain way and, and are quick to judge you. And so as a pastor, I have one or two friends that, that like, I'm not their pastor either, by the way, because, you know, they, they live in other places and other states for the most part. But I know with these people, I can say anything and they don't care. I can literally, I could say anything. And, and I, I, I'm the same way with these guys. This guy could tell me, yeah, I went down to the crack house and I just, <laughs> All right, you're tripping. You just stop. I need, I'm going to come see you, but I love you. I, I, but transparency would be there as stupid as they could be. They could be transparent with me because they, they know no matter what, I'm faithful. I will love them. I will help them. I will believe in them. I will, and I will not harshly judge them and throw them under the bus. I just won't do it. So why do we do that with our spouses then? Because guys, listen, hey, your buddy's got some issues. Right? Guys out there, you got a couple friends. They are tore up from the floor up. Done took a left turn into dysfunction junction. And they, you, you still consider them your friends. They maybe shouldn't even be your friends. And then when your spouse does something, all of a sudden, you know, why'd you do this? How could you do that? And you get, you get all of a sudden you take a nasty streak into them. I'm telling you that great friendships are built on that transparency. There's no judgment. Here, here's, here's the thought. There's no judgment even when I don't understand. Sometimes our differences are different. And so sometimes the things we struggle with don't make any sense to the other person. There will be no judgment even if I don't understand. I won't tell anybody else about this. You have my absolute trust and confidence. And then number three, I won't, I won't be religious about you. Like, I'm not going to just get all, like, start throwing the Bible at you. Have you ever thought about that? God doesn't do that to you, does he? Because well, what I mean by religious, usually when we're being really, really religious, we say stuff like, well, I'm, well, it means I'm better than you, and I don't experience things like that. God could do that to you every day. Every day, God could be like, I'm better than you. <laughs> and I've never experienced that before. <laughs> But God doesn't do that to you. God extends grace to you. So how do you create that, that, that idea of transparency? That's how you do it. Let's keep going. Number five is this. Great friends sympathize so well. Don't they? Great friends sympathize well. I'm going to tell you, like, you, you got your issue and you want God to listen to what God does for you. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not, this is the key, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, even though he never sinned. You know what Jesus is saying here is this. Hey, look, look, I get you. I know you're crazy. I know you're tripping. I know you're weird. I know you got mistakes and issues and problems. I, I know, I know. I faced every temptation. I've seen it all. And I empathize with you. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in the book of Psalms. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's very, very humbling. It says this. Is that, it says that God pities us because we know we are made from dust. <laughs> Doesn't that make you feel better? That sometimes you look at your dysfunction and you're like, hmm. That's Bob. He's the dust. Anyway, 
You do that with your kids, don't you? Like, like sometimes it's hard to, but like sometimes you like, like I have a little girl and she's only five years old and she's pretty rambunctious. She's like a, she's like a puppy and, uh, and she just does stuff. And, and, and when she's not looking, when she's not looking, we'll smile, you know what I mean? But then when she's looking, we're like, don't do, do that again. And, um, but when she's not looking, we smile at each other and we say, ah, that's Caitlin. She's five. She's a little crazy. And so we just kind of sympathize with the fact that, uh, that's, you know, sometimes my son will do something. I'm like, he's 11. That's what boys do. So, you know, at, at some point. How does your spouse get that treatment? Are you able to sympathize with your spouse in the same way that you want other people to sympathize with you? Because I'm telling you, these differences that we have, they will either become a wedge or that you can use them to to draw closer together. I know guys all the time, they they get weirded out by what their wife is weird about or what she doesn't do well. I'm just telling you to sympathize. Sympathize with how they are. Um, There was a... um, there was a, a, a moment where my son would be so upset because, like, he, he's stuck. I don't know if you know this or not, but I have two daughters and a wife and um, only one boy. And so he is stuck so many times surrounded by, like, high levels of estrogen. And he's just surrounded by women so much of the day when I'm at work or, or out. And, and so, you know, he gets so frustrated going shopping. Guys, can I get a witness? Like, shopping with women is difficult. I, when I go to the store and I come back, my wife is like, holy cow, you were gone like two minutes. I'm like, yeah, babe, because that's how you shop. You go to the store, you go into that store, you buy what you need, and then you walk out. That's man shopping, right? Like, that's how you shop. Not a woman. That's not, and so I'm trying to tell my son, like, look, that's just what they do. You've got to just, it's okay. Just let them be that way. It's all, it's all. My pastor did that to me one time when I was first married. We had a restaurant and my wife is pregnant and she's already hyper like organic, uh, funny about stuff and food. And she's pregnant. So then she's like times 10 about what she's putting into her body. I don't know, ladies, y'all get like that when you're pregnant a little bit. You didn't with your first kid, not your third kid though. And so a <laughs> third kid and come out a little weird. I'm like, oh, well, so. So I'm sitting there with my pastor, and, 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 and he's on my left, and my wife is on my right, and the, the server, it's a nice restaurant, comes, and she's looking at the menu, and the menu says it's a salmon from the White Snake River of something. Sounds really fancy. It's just a salmon. She starts asking the server. She goes, is that a really clean river? Where is that river at? Do you know where that river's located? Is it, is it really clean? Is that really, really fresh water? And I'm like, no, babe, it's a creek that travels through South Central. And my pastor just puts his hand over on my leg and just pats me on the knee. He goes, son, shh, it's okay. Just let him be. That's some of the greatest wisdom I'd ever received in my life. I still use that to this day. My wife will be doing something. Just, I, I, feel, I feel the touch of pastor on my knee right here. Just shh. It's okay. Just let them be. That's what Peter said. Peter said to live at peace with them. That can be difficult sometimes. You've got to just let. So, so I'm telling you, we're, we're different. Sympathize with each other. Sympathize with where they're coming from. Sympathize with what they've been through in life. Sympathize with their personality and the traits that they naturally have or the crazy mom that they grew up with or wh- whatever it is. Be a little bit more sympathetic. Number six is this. Uh, number six is great friends. They, they make you laugh. Isn't that the truth? The, the, the best people are the people that make you laugh. Um, l- listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 that a cheerful heart is good like medicine. 
A cheerful heart is good like medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Again, a crushed spirit, what does that come from? Too much criticism. And so I'm telling you this, when it comes to great friends, the great friends are, or, uh, great friends will do this too. They laugh at your jokes even when they're not that funny. They'll give you a courtesy laugh, maybe many, you know what I mean? Especially if you're like that guy that's joke, 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 you know, like they'll give you some courtesy laughs. Like they, but there's a laughter element to it. And I'm telling you this, the way that laughter heals your physical body, laughter heals marriage. I'm telling you, enjoy your spouse. Make them laugh, laugh at their jokes, learn to do things that create laughter in your marriage. It will only help. Let's keep going. Last one is this, number seven. Great friends bear each other's burdens. Great friends bear each other's burdens. Proverbs 18. The Bible says one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the type of friend you want. Now, here's here's the reality, though. Friends come and go in unique ways. Sometimes they move away. Sometimes they change. Sometimes weird things happen. Sometimes there's drama involved. And so friends many times can come and go. But I'm telling you, if your spouse, the one you made those pledges and covenant commitments to and promises to, if they are at the same time your beloved and they are also your friend, you are set up for an incredibly blessed and blissful life. We all know that if you can have just two or three great friends throughout your lifetime, you're a blessed person. I'm telling you, you would be redonkulously blessed if your spouse was that friend. How do you do that? You've got to cultivate that friendship. You've got to like do things, try things, make things happen. You've got to take criticism off the table. You've got to stop being judgmental. You need to create these environments of laughter. I'm telling you, you need to run down the list and say, because the question is not this. I don't want you to get done with this sermon and then ask the question, well, how's my friendship and marriage? It's not the question I want you to ask. The question I want you to ask is, how can I make my friendship and marriage even better than it already is? Because some of you are great. Some of you, your spouse is one of your best friends. And I think that's fantastic. I'm telling you, make it even better. Make it the priority because a great friendship, to me, is the foundation of a great marriage. And when you think about the great friends in your life, I'm telling you, they bear each other's burdens, don't they? When I think about I've got friends who have so uh, who've sacrificed money, who've who've shed tears, who've gone out of their way, who've done sacrificial things. I'm telling you, I've got friends and I could go through the stories. I don't want to do it. But but I'm telling you, I've got these incredible friendships. They the people that matter the most to me are the people who have done something so sacrificial that it moved me. What if you did that for your spouse? Who would only draw you closer to them? Because what did we say earlier is that when you sacrifice for another person, it moves your heart towards them. I'm telling you, you bear each other's burdens. So today, the question is, is not how are we doing? I mean, you're okay to ask that question. But the better question, the bigger question, the more important question is this. How can I make these steps? How can I make these moves to making friendship inside of my marriage even better? Here's some questions that some of you need to ask yourself. How do I talk to my spouse? Some of you, and I hope you feel convicted about it. Some of you treat your friends better than you treat your spouse. Some of you talk to your friends. Like, ladies, some of you, 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 you'll be kind and respectful to your friends and it comes to your husband. You're mean. You've got a nasty tone and a nasty streak. You don't talk to your friends like that. I guarantee you if we were to, to, to walk around with a GoPro, just follow you around for a little while. You don't treat your friends like that. And then all of a sudden you get home and you've got this nasty tone and this nasty streak with your husband. Or, or, or now, because you can say that, but like, 
I was thinking like I could tell guys like, hey, I want you to talk to your wife the same way you talk to your friends. And that would not be good to do. Because guys are weird. Guys like picking on each other and cracking jokes like you're so stupid. <laughs> you know, you're like you're so ugly. Your mama had to tie a pork chop around your neck to get a dog to play with you. And so we're, we're kind of mean to our friends and we think it's funny. Don't, OK, don't do that. Don't do that. But ladies, think about it for you. It does. It does apply. So many of you talk to your friends better than you talk to your husband. Guys, I want you to talk, talk to your wife with the level of love and kindness and respect that would equal a friend that you greatly admire. How do you talk? How do you treat? What do you do together to create that commonality, to create that bond, to say, hey, I'm telling you this because I experienced this. I enjoy coming home to my wife. And there is no greater feeling than to enjoy coming home to your spouse. There's no greater feeling than to be the spouse that's home and to look forward to them walking through the door. And yet I've counseled other people and I've heard their stories. There's sometimes nothing worse than knowing you've got to walk through that door. Because you know what's on the other side of that thing. Somebody's going to be mean or nasty or critical or harsh or it's going to be this negative environment. There's nothing worse than sometimes the thought. Because sometimes you, you'll be at home and you know they're coming home. And you're like, oh gosh. I hope they're in a good mood today. I hope this day. And you're hoping all these things. I'm telling you, we need to eradicate that. We need to begin to treat our spouse as if they are the most important person on planet Earth. We need to treat our spouse better than we treat our friends. And in so doing, we will create happily ever after. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. And, and, and God, I just want you to, to do what you do. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. God, invade our homes. God, I pray that you would shake us. God, if there's something in there that does not belong, shake us. Remove whatever it could be, God, that's poisoned our relationship, God. Some of us need to repent. Some of us need to change. God, I pray that you would do something amazing in our marriages, Lord God. And that today you would begin... God, to build a foundation of friendship inside of our marriage, God. Help us, Lord, we pray. God, give us the strength, the ideas, the grace, the patience, God, to walk out of this place and to be different, to walk out of this place and to live for you, to walk out of this place and be great husbands and great wives who show the world what a great and godly Jesus-centered marriage really looks like, Lord God. Help us to be the people that are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let that light be in our marriages, Lord. God, we pray these things and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap this morning?